Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. And he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner to whom the people requested. A man named Barabbas was in, was in prison with the insurrectionist, committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas! They answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. And they all answered, Crucify him! Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! For the third time, He spoke to them. Why? What, what crime has this man committed? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have Him punished and release Him. But with loud shouts... They insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him. And they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, you take him and you crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. 
But the Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside to the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked, we have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of man's blood. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, Let his blood be on us and our children. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one that they had asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And as they mocked him, they took off his purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Carrying his own cross, he went out. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when they will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? 
two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place of the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven together from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their head and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since we are under the same sentence? We're being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, this is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. 
Later, knowing that all was completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is a passage, no doubt, that you've read over and over again and heard numerous times. This is a a collaboration of all four Gospels trying to weave together what the last hours of Jesus' life look like. And as we studied over the last several months, we've spent a lot of time talking about what did Jesus do. And clearly it's evident by these passages that one of the things that Jesus did was suffer. Now I think it's all fair to say that within this room we've done a fair amount of suffering suffering ourselves. We've dealt with heartache and loss and sadness We've heard the word cancer. We've dealt with the ramifications of COVID. Many of us have buried parents or siblings or children. And I think sometimes we have this natural response to want to stack up all those different ways that we have been treated unfairly or poorly, whether we say it was fate or whether we believe that it was God or whether we believe it was just a random act that caused the car to veer off the road and take the life of someone you love. I think sometimes we almost so much compare or even get into some kind of spitting contest of who suffered the most. We don't do it really on purpose, but we end up doing it even in the minuscule things of life. If people ask us how we're going, it's almost our first nature to start listing all the terrible things that we have to do or had to go through or what we're going to have to go through. Well, how was your week? Well, you wouldn't believe what happened to me at work today. Or my landlord just did this. Or you would not believe what my mother-in-law just did. Now, I don't think anybody would stand up and say that they could compare their suffering with that of Jesus. But I do want you to realize something that, that we really probably would never do. It wasn't simply the fact that Jesus suffered. It was the fact that Jesus chose to suffer. Let me say that again. Jesus chose to suffer. Is this what you do in your life? Have you ever said, God, please give me cancer? How many of you have said aloud, I really would like to have an unfaithful spouse. I really hope my husband cheats on me. I suspect that no one has ever uttered the words, I hope I get that late night phone call. Or the knock on the door 
only to open it up and to see a state trooper standing on my front porch. I've never seen a shirt that says, I chose COVID. I've never heard a mother say, I preferred a miscarriage over a healthy child. No one has ever said, let my child become the one who gets a terminal illness. It's ludicrous. Now we've suffered some great hardships in our life, but we didn't choose any of these. Now I spent a good portion of our time reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I want to go back just a few years, about 700, and I want you to hear just a few words from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one who men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And who can speak of his descendants? He was cut off from the land of the living. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. The words of Isaiah, the prophet from the Old Testament, 17 books, 700 years 300 pages in my Bible before we get to the crucifixion of Jesus. We have the prophecy that Jesus would be despised and rejected and hated. That He would be pierced for our transgressions. That He would be cut off from the land of the living. That He would have no descendants. And then it would go so far to say that God chose to crush him and cause him to suffer. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus didn't just suffer on the way to Golgotha. He chose that walk. He chose suffering. He chose hardship. He chose to sacrifice. Max Lucado in The Cross writes these words. The cross was no accident. Jesus' death was not the result of a panicking cosmological engineer. The cross was not a tragic surprise. Calvary was not a knee-jerk response to a world plummeting towards destruction. It was not a patch-up job or a stopgap measure. The death of the Son of God was anything but an unexpected peril. No, it was part of an incredible plan, a calculated choice. It was the Lord's will to crush Him. Isaiah 53. The moment the forbidden fruit touched the lips of Eve, the shadow of a cross appeared on the horizon. And between that moment and the moment the man with the mallet placed the spike against the wrist of God, the master plan was fulfilled. What does that mean? It means that Jesus planned His own sacrifice. 
It means that Jesus intentionally planted the tree from which the cross would be carved. It means he willingly placed the iron ore in the heart of the earth from which the nail would be cast. It means he voluntarily placed his Judas in the mother, in the womb of a woman. It means Christ was the one who set in motion the political machinery that would send Pilate to Jerusalem. And it also means that he didn't have to do it, but he did. It was no accident. Even the cruelest of criminals is spared the agony of having his death sentence read to him before his life even begins. But Jesus was born crucified. Whenever he became became conscious of who he was, he also became conscious of what he had to do. The cross, shape, shadow could always be seen. And the scream of hell's imprisoned could always be heard. This explains the glint of determination on his face as he turned towards Jerusalem for the last time. He chose that death march. The ropes used to tie his hands and the soldiers used to lead him to the cross, they were unnecessary. They were incidental. Had they not been there, had there been no trial, no pilot, no crowd, the very same crucifixion would have occurred. Had Jesus been forced to nail himself to the cross, he would have done it. For it was not the soldiers who killed him, nor the screams of the mob. It was his devotion to us. So call it what you wish. An act of grace, a plan of redemption, a martyr's sacrifice. But whatever you call it, don't call it an accident. Because it was anything but that. Forget any suggestion that Jesus was trapped. Erase any theory that Jesus made a miscalculation. Ignore any speculation that the cross was a last-ditch attempt to salvage a dying mission. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. No surprise, no hesitation, no faltering. You can tell a lot about a person by the way he dies. And Jesus marched to his death leaving no doubt he had come to earth for this moment he came to earth to die for you because of you in your place jesus came and suffered No doubt we'll have the opportunity over the next few weeks to list some of the sufferings that we've encountered over the last few days or weeks or even over the course of our life. And we might get into a contest of who's had it worse. And maybe you'll walk away the victor. Maybe you can show your co-worker, your neighbor, your sister that you've had it worse. But Jesus had it worse. And He chose it. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I think everybody in this room would gladly say, let's forget 2020. (laughs) It's been a really rough year. 
And I think one of the things that bothers most of us about this is that we feel like this has been forced upon us, that it's unfair. In fact, I think most of us would, would say, we didn't choose this. We shouldn't be told how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do. But that's what Jesus did for us. He chose the cross, the suffering. And He did it just for you. As we think about what Jesus did, I want you to focus this week on the fact that Jesus not only went through the suffering that we're familiar with, but I want you to be reminded of the fact that He was thinking of you. He pictured your face. He became familiar with your sins and the shame of carrying your sins when He climbed on a cross. That's the sacrifice of Jesus. It's what Jesus did for us. We're about to sing a song of invitation, and as we do, I want you to be thinking about the decisions that you'll have to make this week. There will be opportunities to argue how you're right, how you're better, how you were wronged. Or there's an opportunity to choose other people. To choose the way of Jesus. And in doing so, we glorify the one who chose us first. If we can help you in any way, I encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing.